Thank you very much, Richard. We'll keep that open. We'll look at that together in a second, this fantastic story of the first uh, Pentecost in the Christian church. And one will be celebrated, of course, in three weeks' time on Pentecost Sunday as well. I became a Christian uh, some years ago as a member of the young people's group here because the youth group leaders in the church at that time, as they do today, um, taught me the good news about Jesus and because they and others in my family and friends were praying for me. Um, Now, it was really, therefore, very simple what they were doing, wasn't it? They were praying, they were passing on the message about Jesus. And I'm pretty sure um, I didn't become a Christian because they bribed me to do so. Might have been tempting. Um, Or because they press-ganged me, you know, threatened me with something if I didn't become a Christian. I became a Christian because they gave me the message and they were praying for me. They had confidence in those two simple things to be God's means to change people's lives, including mine. Now, our vision for this year and our verse for this year, it's on those um, cards that you were given as you came in, is about confidence. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the message of Jesus, because it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. But we live in a, in a culture, don't we, where it's quite daunting to certainly stand up and tell people you're a Christian, let alone pass on the message. So confidence in the power of this message is really important for us. Pluck up the courage to speak to someone at school or at work or at uni about the fact that you are a Christian and what that means. But Paul says we haven't got to be timid. We don't need to invent ways to persuade people to have their lives changed. God's power can do that. We just have to have confidence in the gospel. And of course, Acts chapter 2, that Richard just read for us, helps us here a lot as well. Uh, the, The background here, Jesus has just been crucified and risen at Easter, and in Acts chapter 1 we're told, he then ascended back to heaven, back to the Father's side in glory. The remaining apostles, that's 11 minus Judas, then appoint... They pray and appoint a 12th apostle to take Judas's place. And then we get to Acts chapter 2 and the story of Pentecost. And this is an extraordinary chapter in the Bible, one of the most important in many ways. By the end of this chapter, we didn't have it read, but if, you just, uh, if you're on the, the page there, Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, they paint a picture of the first Christian church in action. It's a wonderful picture of unity. They are together. They're around the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers, and they're also impacting their culture because people are seeing the life of this church and are joining it in faith. The Lord adds to the number daily those that are being saved. So it's a kind of a, a model church in action. This is what we want to be as a church, isn't it? I think it's meant to be a model church, this church at the end of Acts chapter 2. Uh, their unity and their, their boldness, their impact on those around them. It's a confident, healthy church. Um, I guess in the words of, again, our vision this year, uh, Acts 2, the church there, had a refreshed, you know, a rich welcome. They had a a capacity to raise up disciples among them. That was clearly happening. And they were releasing the gospel across their city, Jerusalem. This is where they and we as a church want to be, isn't it? So the question is, if that's where they were at the end of Acts 2, how did God, God get them there from being 
slightly timid and disappointed disciples back in Acts 1. Well, there are two big things that God does and gives them in this chapter. If you like, these are two means God uses to grow a healthy church like that, a kind of a model church. Here's the first one, the pivotal moment of Pentecost. The pivotal moment of Pentecost. Background to the day of Pentecost. Uh, The word means 50 days. And the annual Jewish festival of Pentecost took place 50 days after the Passover festival, both annual festivals. And it was really a kind of a harvest festival. It was also more than that, but it was a harvest festival celebrating God's faithfulness. People came from all over the world, Jews came from all over the world to celebrate. And you saw that in uh, our reading, that the city of Jerusalem is full of people there for the feast. It's packed, it's buzzing. And it's a bit like the city centre when, when Norwich City are challenging for promotion again. Oh no, I can't remember. Can you remember that? I can't remember that actually. But anyway, um, last time that happened, whenever that was. Um, but Acts 2 is not going to be the usual Pentecost, just the Harvest Festival. It's going to be much more for the Christian church. Because in the middle of the festival, the Christian believers in Jerusalem begin to speak in languages that they hadn't learnt. That's almost certainly what's meant here by this this idea of languages or tongues, same word in the original. And here are these disciples, many of them Galilean fishermen, remember, Peter and James and John and Andrew and so on, Uh, and the Galileans spoke with quite a thick dialect. It comes across here, aren't all these men Galileans? You know, it's a bit like saying, aren't they all from Norfolk, this lot? How can we understand them? But suddenly they're speaking in languages, um, almost certainly Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic, and we've seen in the list Syrian, Latin, Egyptian, that they hadn't learned. It's an extraordinary gift of God that moment, that pivotal moment. And so the crowd are amazed, verse 12, what does it mean, they say? And of course, the answer is not that they're drunk, because it's such a bizarre thing that's happening here that people wonder that, but as Peter's explaining, the wonders they're hearing are because God has at last, in this pivotal moment, poured out his spirit on his people. Pentecost, this Christian Pentecost, begins the new age promised in the Old Testament in which every believer's given a new heart by the Spirit of God and a new knowledge of God by the Spirit of God to follow his Son by the Spirit of God. Now, we should probably not expect, it certainly wasn't my experience when I became a Christian, that we would suddenly gain the capacity to speak five languages that we had never learnt. Almost certainly the, this phenomenon here was a particular moment for that moment at Pentecost, to reach the nations of Jerusalem that day. And in fact, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit manifests himself in many remarkable ways, but there are two consistent ways the Holy Spirit works in us as people in the book of Acts. One, he unites us. The Spirit in Acts always is uniting his people as believers. They're always gathering together in unity. That's a picture you keep getting. And then secondly, he makes us bold to declare the message of Jesus. That's, again, a consistent thing that he keeps doing in the book of Acts through the apostles and the other Christians. The Acts 2 church becomes bold in mission and united in love 
And it all happens in chapter 2 because of the gift of the Spirit. And you and I, I think, should find that hugely encouraging, even a relief, because that means, just think about boldness, that the friends and the, the brothers and the family that I pray for that don't yet know Christ, are not yet saved, are not going to be converted because I managed to be persuasive enough to do that. Because I, I know I can't do that. I'm not that persuasive. They're not going to be converted um, because of anything I do. They won't grasp God's love for them because of something I say even, because I'm very clever or whatever. But they're going to be saved in God's grace because of, yes, okay, prayers of many, but above all, the power of God. The boldness he gives his people to share Jesus. So it's a great relief. God, his spirit, that pivotal moment, that's changed the world forever because it's changed the church forever. You see, only the spirit will make you or me bold to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to give us unity that draws people to come and join us, to come and be added to the family here. And it's because this is all about God's power, the power of God's spirit, and not our resources, that prayer is so, so central to Christian life. Prayer is effectively saying, isn't it, God, we can't do this, but we believe you can. We believe your spirit is at work, and we ask him to do your work. It's been so encouraging this year, um, since Carol and I arrived, to see the number of us gathering for those monthly prayer focus meetings. That's, that sends such a good message about our church, doesn't it? That we believe in prayer. We want to be together on particularly that monthly occasion to bring our needs and the world's needs before God in prayer. To say, Holy Spirit, we need your help. We can't do this. That's why, again, in our vision, um, we're also asking all of us as members to be praying for just five people in our lives, that they might feel their need of Christ and come to know him. So again, do start that, if you've not already done that. Start, write it down tonight. Five people, family, friends, colleagues, that you could be praying for. Prayer is how we bring before God the people that we long to see find Christ. So that's the first means that God's given in Acts 1. In Acts 2, that's the first way that God gets us from where we are to being that wonderful, united, bold, spirit-filled church. Here's the second. A pivotal moment. Secondly, a powerful message. Now, it's usual at Pentecost that churches often have like a sermon about the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Spirit, and so on. Good thing to do. But isn't it interesting that Peter, as the crowd is saying, what's going on here? And the spirits come on the church. Peter preaches a sermon actually about, did you notice this, about Jesus. He takes the chance to say, this is all about Jesus. You need to listen to this. Now in Acts, Luke records several sort of model sermons by the apostles. As if to say, if you want to know the important things to communicate to the world, to people that you pray for, here they are. So he gives kind of an introduction here, Peter, and then four key events in the life of Jesus. The introduction Peter gives is, is that um, section, if you've got the NIV Bible open, they, it's, it's said like, like a kind of poetry on the right-hand side there, from the book of Joel. He quotes prophecy. 
Um, verse 16, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And explains, Peter, that hundreds of years before, through the prophet Joel, uh, God gave a vision of a blessing he'd give that would follow a time of judgment and forgiveness for his people. And the blessing, he says, would look like this. I will pour out my spirit on all people. And that's verse 17. Um, So not just Israel, notice, but all nations are going to come under God's blessing. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and so on. It's it's a time, in other words, for all of God's people to know God and his will for us in a way that, in the past, only particular individuals, kings, prophets, might have done. For us all to proclaim God's wonders as they are doing on Pentecost Sunday here. Then he says, I will show wonders in the heavens above, and the sun will be darkened. Uh, Dramatic images, aren't they? before the great and glorious day of the Lord. Probably, difficult verses, but probably Peter sees these events, the language about the, the sun being darkened, fulfilled in the darkness that came over the land as Jesus hung on the cross. And the great and glorious day of the Lord, again, probably, Peter's thinking there of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus the great day in which he appears in glory, risen from the dead. So can you see, um, behind this extraordinary, wonderful prophecy of Joel, Peter's being actually very logical here. He's saying, look, the believers are praising God in language they hadn't learnt because, why? The Spirit's been given to the church. That's the good news. The Spirit's been given to the church, secondly, Why? Because God promised he would do that back in the time of Joel. Okay, so extraordinary events happening. The Spirit's come. Spirit's come because God promised that. And then thirdly, the promise has come true. Why? Because Jesus has died and risen and ascended. And therefore, he's now pouring out his Spirit. And with that kind of setting up, well, what's going on here? The big picture, the promise is coming true. Peter then focuses us on four key elements in the story of Jesus. Four things to make sure we know about Jesus and we pray and tell other people about Jesus too. The first one is this, the signs of Jesus, verse 22. He says, listen to this Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. The signs of, of Jesus' life, the, the, the healings, the raisings of the dead, the walk on the water and so on. And those who met Jesus, you read the Gospels, they could not argue about the fact he had power. All they could do was say, well, that power came from somewhere else other than God. You know, from, from evil or um, from magic or something. They couldn't dispute his power. And Peter says, the things Jesus did demonstrate that God sent him. Second thing, his signs, then his death. Verse 23. Jesus' death. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose. This is all somehow God's wonderful plan. And you, with the help of wicked men, meaning probably the Romans, put him to death. Now Peter says little here. The apostles later in Acts will say more about why Jesus' death matters, about how it it, it removes the curse for our sin from us so that we can be set free and forgiven. But the death of Jesus, the cross, 
is right at the heart of the Christian message. Third thing, signs, death, his resurrection. That wasn't the end, was it? Verse 24. But God, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So the Christian message, the the thing that powerfully is used by God to change lives, is not only about Jesus' life and death, but his resurrection too. And what he's saying, he seems to be saying, Peter, uh, the power of the grave couldn't hold Jesus. It's almost like, for Jesus, um, death was, was like a pregnant woman, just about to give birth. You know, the labor pains have begun. And that baby simply has to come out. Uh, the womb can't hold the child. Death can't hold Jesus. He's released from the grave by the power of God and In verse 25, it wasn't read this little bit, but Peter shows how David's prophecy, King David, centuries earlier, actually predicted that the Messiah would experience resurrection, as Jesus did. So the resurrection, then fourth and last, the ascension of Jesus as king of all. From verse 29, that again was read for us, Peter moves to that final movement. The signs of Jesus, the death, the resurrection, the ascension as king. He's raised and placed on the throne of heaven. And verse 33, Peter says, kind of beginning to sum up now, he says, exalted to the right hand of God, the position of authority, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and, getting back to Pentecost, has poured out what you now see and hear. You see? God promised this would happen. It's happened because Jesus has died and risen, and now ascended. So you see, we do need to tell friends who are sceptical the message of Jesus. Um, The people around us that we pray for, that we bump into perhaps day by day, uh, may well be living at the moment without any understanding that God loves them. That God went to these lengths, sending his son in death and resurrection, to win us back to himself, to give us forgiveness, to grant us the hope of eternity, without which we have no hope. Um, So, uh, yes, it's important that we we kind of get around people's debates and arguments and um, we give people the evidence, perhaps, that's that's right here, you know, in the works of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the witnesses to Jesus, the evidence. But actually, it's even more important to share the events of Jesus' history, his story, and what they mean for us that he died because he loves us, to take away all that we've done that took us away from God, to bring us back, to rise again, to give us the hope of eternity. So that's why, for instance, just a simple thing, giving someone a little gospel to read can be a very powerful thing to do. You never know, if they start to open it, what God's going to do with that dynamite in their hands, with this message that's powerful. Think of a lady that we knew in the last church, who she grew up in atheist Albania, um, and she, she, she went along to a church once, but her parents, who were communist atheists, banned her from ever going there again. Um, but she managed to get hold of a Bible, and she'd sit and read it under the bedclothes at night. And one night, she, she said, I remember there, um, lying in bed at night with kind of torch under the bedclothes, reading the gospel, um, and I felt, as I understood what Jesus had done, I felt the Lord Jesus save me and assure me of his power and his forgiveness. 
and she's now you know, walking with the Lord and, and in ministry, serving him today. This message that Peter preached is powerful. It's dynamite. I think for, there's a challenge here for you and me and for our vision as a church. It's good to give friendship and love and practical help to people in need in our community. But it's not enough, is it, to stop there. People need the message too. They need Jesus. Um, so it's, it's great, actually, looking ahead, that, that we want as a church to form, for instance, closer links with the Jenny Lynn Project to, to help the message to get out through that. And with English Plus, too, the great work being done there. And just think about my own relationships. It's not enough, is it, for me to talk to my friends about, about faith, generally, and leave it there. Or even about Jesus as a, as a great friend and leave it there. Because Peter's model is we need to show them the story and just help them to walk through just what Jesus has done and how it changes our lives. So Peter finishes in verse 36 by saying, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. Don't doubt this. God has made this Jesus, whom we crucified through our sins, both Lord and Christ. He's inviting response, isn't he? He's challenging us to respond. And our vision this year is to, is to make disciples of Jesus, to, to see people in and outside the church at the moment come under the lordship of Jesus, who's Lord and Christ. That's what being a disciple is. We long to see people, don't we, growing as his followers and helping others to grow as his followers too and to hear and find Jesus. We long to see, as you can see on the, the kind of detail on the back of our cards, more people amongst us just meeting up informally, you know, one-to-ones and triplets and so on, to read a bit of scripture and pray together. Because this is dynamite, this stuff. It changes lives, as well as in small groups and so on, and Sunday services. We want to resource this gospel message-sharing work with staff in future going forward who can help and train us all to be living and doing this stuff. And we want our confidence as a church to be not in the number of groups that we have, but the number of disciples we're making, because that's what really matters in God's plan. The response to, Jesus, to, to Peter's sermon here is remarkable, isn't it? If you just saw the end of the reading there, it says the crowd are cut to the heart. And it's gone deep inside this message. And they asked the apostles, what shall we do? What have we done? How do we get out of this? Rescue us. And Peter replies simply two things. He says two things. Repent. Literally, it just means change your mind. Stop going away from God and turn back towards him. And he says be baptized in Jesus' name. It's a way of, baptism is a way, amongst other things, of identifying publicly as a follower, a disciple of this Jesus. It's that simple. Repent, be baptized. And then he promises two things to all those that that repent and are baptized. Two promises. The forgiveness of sins. He says, if you do this, you'll receive the forgiveness of sins. All that's wrong in your life, um, all that brings you guilt before God, all that you feel ashamed of, that will be taken away. Forgiveness of sins. That's a promise. And then lastly, the gift of the Holy Spirit. You receive the gift of the Spirit to all who believe. The Spirit's given to all who believe 
bringing to us that new heart, that unity with God's people, and that boldness that Peter shows to share the message. So there's two things. That's how God gets his church from where we are to where he one day will take us. It's through the pivotal moment of the gift of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, and through the powerful message of Jesus. Those are our two, two powerful things. So verse 47, at the end of this chapter, it ends by saying, in this, in this model church, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. And that, that was in addition to the 3,000 plus converted in response to Peter's sermon. Daily they're being added. It's a great reminder, actually you and I can't add a single person to God's family. We do not have the power to do that. What's it say? It doesn't say Peter, the apostles, it says the Lord added to the number daily. So our task isn't it, is, is to pray, as we've seen. It's to be bold with the message, as we've seen. But in the end, it's simply to receive, to welcome those the Lord's adding to our number. Let's pray now. And uh, we're going to come back and look a little bit further at this vision for the future um, in our meeting that follows in a few minutes. And Mike's going to pray about some of this right now as well. But let's pray, first of all, in response to God's message to us tonight. So, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your love for your people that brought you to die and rise for us. We praise that you are risen and ascended and reigning over all things and one day will return in glory. And we pray that by your spirit, given, poured out upon your people in such grace, you will give us unity in love for one another and boldness to share this message of Jesus with all to whom you send us and with each other in your precious name we pray. Amen.